Welcome, guys, to the Recovering Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fredrickson. I'm glad you've joined us on the fastest growing recovery podcast out. Hey, make sure you subscribe on whichever platform you are connecting with us through as we are on multiple platforms. And hey, if you guys are looking for more resources to help you live out the best recovery possible, I'd encourage you to to check out the website at recoveringreality.com. Sign up for the email list. You're going to get access to free content, videos, our blogs, of course, the podcasts and online courses that we have as well to empower you and countless other people to live into the healthiest and most powerful recovery possible. Thanks for joining us, guys. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Recovering Reality Podcast. I'm excited today. I have a friend on today to talk about a what I think is a, a pretty important subject i'm excited for her to share before i get into that real quick though you know it's like we people who struggle with addiction anybody that knows that stepped into recovery knows that it it doesn't just affect the person struggling with addiction it spreads and affects the lives of those around us and we want to get into a little bit of that today and i want to introduce my friend this is my friend rebecca lamasters we met working at a treatment center the bluffs here in ohio and i worked there for about nine months and she still does some things there so without further ado rebecca how are you doing today i'm good thank you for having me on the podcast i appreciate it and we've been kind of uh had this in the works for a little bit and now we're doing it so we're putting this plan into action i'm happy about that yeah yeah me as well me as well i'm excited to have you on today and uh why don't you why don't you go ahead uh share a little bit about what you do now and then why don't you jump into a little bit of your heart of what you want to share with with people today okay um I currently am a community relations representative for addiction campuses. I represent the bluff it is uh located in the Atwood Lake region in Ohio here. Um, what I do day to day is I really make connections and really get the word out there about what we're doing at the treatment center. Um, when you and I met, I was a recovery coach. My background is through, it's really medical, but I felt that, um, I wanted to transition over from medical into more of the therapeutic side of addiction and recovery. Awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. We we did have some some fun and got to know each other pretty well. You can't not being around each other all day long working together in certain environments. <laughs> um, but we had we kicked this idea around, and I'm really excited that you're wanting to share and be open about it. And why don't I just maybe set the stage for a little bit? So um, you have a, a spouse who's in recovery, and you felt like it would be good to share a little bit about, you know, what the other side of it is like and what you've experienced in your process in the midst of it. I commend you for it, and I'm excited to hear um, your point of view on it and what it is you kind of want to share surrounding all that. I I appreciate that. It's been a passion of mine for a while. You can probably hear a little bit of shakiness in my voice because 
it is always, you're always nervous when this subject comes up. And I'm always nervous when people ask me, because of my position, they always ask, are you in recovery? And, you know, I used to say, you know, I'm, I just don't feel like I'm going to answer that. Or, you know, I would segue into, well, this, I can tell you that I know what you're going through. And, but now I don't answer that way. Um, I actually answer yes, because due to the fact that my spouse is in recovery, active recovery, and he has been for some time now, I feel that I also am in recovery. Because I, I don't think that people realize how much you have to change your lifestyle as a spouse and as a support system or as a family member um, to assist in the recovery of your loved one. This is, this is going to be good. This is, people need to hear this. Um, people need to hear this. So I'm excited to talk about this. Well, maybe lay a little bit of groundwork. What, um, what was, what are some of the things that sort of happened early on when the addiction was kicking in and some of the things that you had to go through when it was active? Well, when the addiction was active, we had, um, we had a wonderful life from my point of view. I thought it was wonderful um, because I was naive, to be honest, like a lot of people are that are in my position because the people that are closest to you, you don't, and it's human nature, you know, you just don't believe they're going to hurt you you or themselves the way that other people are telling you they're hurting, you know. Um, It's... You're in so much denial, and you really, you really don't know what to do with it because your entire life just explodes in front of your face, you know. But the point, the thing is, you have to keep going on. You have to keep living that same life while all of this is like behind the scenes. People don't realize, you know, so much is pushed back, and your struggles at home and while you're keeping up with the Joneses and you're packing lunches and you're taking kids to school and you're going to sporting events and you're holding down a a full-time job. And I mean, it is definitely um, a tumultuous relationship within yourself and with your spouse. And you become isolated, I think, in the beginning. And that's why I'm doing this because I don't want another person, another spouse, I mean, a husband or wife or anyone that's in this relationship on that's on my side or, you know, to feel that they have to be isolated and they have to hide these things. Because when you are doing that, you're also aiding and abetting your loved one and the addict to also hide and isolate themselves and, and really um, gain the upper hand with the addiction. And that's the one thing that we need to change. And that's why we need to change so many stigmas and we need to have um, outreach programs and we need to speak to more wives, children's mothers, brothers, fathers. And we really need to learn from one another and support one another to understand what we, what we really have to do to get out there and say, hey, I'm hurting. My family member is hurting. I'm trying to keep up this lifestyle I can't do it. I'm exhausted. Because in the end, you know, the old thing that everybody says, if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. 
So in the beginning, that's pretty much where it started. You know, I was, I went through a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of financial difficulty. Um, I lied to my family. I lied to my friends. I isolated myself. I became codependent on my spouse that was in full-fledged addiction, and I also became his enabler. And he knew exactly how to manipulate me to um, continue the relationship that way. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's it's dirty, but that is that is how the beginning of the relationship really was. Yeah, you know, again, I commend you for being so forthright about it. It's like it's you touched on a lot of good things. One is it's like you just you don't expect that to happen to you or a close loved one to you. And then when it starts happening, you know, because I can remember for me and my parents, I didn't, you know, I haven't, um, I wasn't married at all for 13 years of my active addiction, but obviously being in a lot of very unhealthy relationships. But I, I would lie to my parents. I would lie to my teachers at school. And I would, I, I knew what to say and how to say it. And they always, you know, the benefit of the doubt. Oh, yeah, he's right. He just, you know, this happened. You know, he couldn't find a ride home that night. That's why he was late. You know, oh, he was. He was acting weird just because he wasn't feeling well. I, I knew the excuses to come up with, but then they become just you, you can't keep up with the lies and the addiction just blasts through and it's impossible to hide. And then there's that exactly what you said. Then there is the, well, I don't want to tell anybody about this. What are people going to think? What are people going to say? Who's going who's gonna to have their opinions? Who's going to stop calling me? Who's going to fill in the blanks? You know what I mean? And so, so what did that look like for you? What did that look like in the midst of beginning to come out of the isolation with it? Well, fortunately, um, and I know, I know not everyone has this, but I had an amazing church family. So my church family was very aware and of what, um, I was going through because they knew myself and my husband very well. And um, I just, I started to get very involved with the church. And then, you know, my husband then started to get very involved with the church. And we started to really get into the very tip of our recovery iceberg right there was with our church family. I mean, that's really where I gained strength. I gained um, courage. And I knew that I could be honest with these people. And they would be honest with me. They would support me and love me no matter what happened. You know, and it wasn't, um, I was never, I never thought about divorce. I never thought about leaving my spouse at that point in time. I mean, I just, it wasn't an option. Because, you know, when you take your vows, they're very serious, and it's through sickness and in health, and addiction is sickness. Absolutely. So you have, you have to make a very, um, a very conscientious decision to support your spouse, and then you, you cannot resent them because you chose to stay in that relationship and support them. You know, that's where I feel a, a lot of a lot of women in my position. I'm just going to speak from a, a wide perspective right now. Um, mm-hmm. That 
you start to deal with after the initial shock of everything, then you start to deal with internal resentment and hatred and dissent, and then the anger starts. It's almost like a process when someone dies, to be honest, because that part of your spouse and that person that you knew no longer exists. They are dead, you know, for, for the moment, you know. So you go through all those processes. You go through shock. You go through um, anger. You go through grief, you know, and then, I mean, it's, it parallels it so amazingly. I mean, but like I said, I had a strong church group. And I have, I had a, a strong upbringing, and I know the Lord, and I was very passionate about, you know, um, everything that the Bible was telling me to do as a wife and, you know, as a mother, and so that really, that really grounded things for me and kept me strong. That's awesome. I mean. Let me ask you this, because so obviously, as you know, and um, anyone that listens to my podcast regularly, I I work with clients all all around the world, really, and this is not a a topic that has not come up in the midst of me working with people. And as you're as you're talking about, and I I already mentioned, and it it just spills into the life of the spouse. It, it can't not. And so what? What was it for you in the midst of taking responsibility for any this might not be the best word for it, but it's, so any sickness that was taking place in your life and it was your responsibility how, explain to me like how what was the process, and was it difficult or not for you to accept responsibility in your wrongdoings in the midst of it when you're not the one that created the mess? Is, am I making sense the way I'm asking that and explaining it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it was very hard. <laughs> it was. I could only imagine. Even though I was as strong and courageous as I thought I was and had this thing all figured out, it was very hard for me to not then just revert back to the blame game. If we had a bill that was unpaid or we had someone that attacked us, or if the kids, you know, if the kids had something going on, and once again, I'm at a function, and I'm by myself, and everybody's like, where's your husband? Where's your husband? What's going on? And, and I had to keep saying, he's out of town working. And, and I mean, during that time period, you know, he really was, we had a, we had a flourishing business, we were making more money than we had ever made. Um, and still to this day, and I mean, like I said, I thought we were, we, we had it. I thought we were living the dream that we had set up to live. So when those things happened, I came right back to him with double fists, you know, like it is your fault. This is all you. We're never going to get anywhere. We're never, you know, boom, 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 boom. I didn't realize at the time, and this is how I was naive and I needed, I needed if I would have spoke out and learned how to handle better through therapy and with a clinician, I wouldn't have done this because this caused him to just go right back out and use and full force, you know, because I was, I was berating him and beating him emotionally 
because that's all I felt was pain and stress. And so um, that. Which you didn't create. You're not the one that created this problem, but nonetheless, not knowing how to handle it all the right way, it creates some things in you that you have to process. Yes. I became a very angry, hateful person. And I didn't. I didn't create the problem, but um, like I said, now I live in recovery with my husband. Before, I thought I was doing the right thing, but I was living a total, a secret life and a separate life. So, you know, everything he created, I was handling either monetarily, emotionally, lying, I was as much of an addict and a manipulator as he was in that point in time of his addiction. And that made me hate myself. And I was not the person that I ever had been in my life. I was, my integrity went out the window. So even though I didn't create the problem, it doesn't matter because when you are in a unified relationship and you are married, his problem is my problem. His his happiness is my happiness. I mean, you are one unit. So yep. you know, um, I would I just happen to be the one trying to handle it. But the, but it, within that, I can say he was trying, and I never saw it. I re, I think I refused to see it, and I was too busy like living this life that I couldn't see that he was struggling, but he was trying at the same time. So, you know, that's, that's why I'm speaking out too, because these, these steps in recovery need to be recognized. And the other thing is I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't have any outlet. I didn't have anyone kind of like myself or yourself to say, just to just cry you know, and say, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm, I mean, everybody in my entire life has always looked at me as being, you know, the person who, who is a mover and a shaker and knows what to do. And you know what I mean? And you try to keep up with those personas. And for the very first time in my life, I can admit, I did not know what I was doing. Wow. So I hope that answers your question without oh, no. going it, on in a ramble, but that's that's the way I feel like I wanted to answer that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So so I know you. You are not an angry, bitter, resentful person now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is a fact. So so share a little bit about the process of coming out of that. And as you have mentioned, you're in your own recovery. So what, what is, what does that look like? What does this recovery look like in your life? What was the tipping point and, and how has it progressed? So I finally figured out I could not control my husband. I couldn't stop him. I was in, Nothing I did would matter. He had to want it. He had to make, he had to take the steps. I was helping him lay the groundwork and then he had to initially, you know, finish the job. So when I came to that realization, I was able to finally breathe. 
And I came through that to that realization through clinical help, which is not a negative thing. I, I mean, no one should feel that their self-care and worth and mental health is ever negative if you need to reach out to someone clinically and talk to them. That it is actually um, a proof of strength and courage and bravery if you're willing to better yourself to speak to someone. Yeah, I would agree. So That's what I tell that. people. I say. And then. Um, go go ahead. I'll yeah, just I, say, I, I completely in, agree with that. When you're in these positions. A lot it's looked upon as weakness if you do reach out to a therapist or a counselor or um, even a clergyman or a pastor, you know, and that that is exactly the opposite. That is the stigma that you and I and the people in our circle are trying to definitely um, extinguish because mm-hmm. if we don't start getting the word out there and helping people in this very same position, I have seen so many wives come an addict on top of the addiction that they're dealing with with their spouse. They start to drink. They go to the doctor. And I'm not saying anything bad about physicians. I worked in medical school forever. I, I love all the doctors I worked for. I think, you know, I, I'm all for that. But if they're not being honest with their physician, and they're saying that they're anxious, you know, they can't sleep, and they're not really telling them why, then, yeah, you get a pill for every quick fix. That's how you, you know, that's just how America is. That's how the world is. So that's why I'm speaking out, too, because I've seen so many people become what I call a adjunct or secondary addict in the relationship to deal with the primary addict. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and that's one, and I, and I, I went that route at first. Thankfully, um, I'm the type of personality who's too proud to think anything can heal me but me and God. So <laughs> I, I didn't do well with medications. I um, anatomically, I have allergies to almost everything. So that's actually, I look at that as a blessing because a lot of the medication that was prescribed, I couldn't take it. Um, but I did start to drink and I have alcoholism that runs very deep within my own family. So, you know, that did become an issue for me too. I, I, I guess I never have said like I'm an alcoholic, but I definitely would use like, oh, I'm just going to have a glass of wine or I need to unwind or do this or do that to relax and deal with all the other issues. So, you know, we didn't, I guess that that conversation kind of took a little bit of a turn, but um, I started, so, okay, I'll put it into, I'll put it into bullet points. I first relied upon my church and went that route, and it just, I mean, it gave me ground to stand on, but then his addiction was getting more aggressive, so I was getting more aggressive and hateful. So then I began to medicate, self-medicate. That wasn't working for me, obviously, because I'm not I'm not good at even taking vitamins or anything like that. I, yeah, I self-medicating, I don't know if it works for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, so I started. So I started to drink a little, and then 
I realized I was, I was being hypocritical, doing exactly the same thing I was asking him not to do. Mm-hmm. So then I reached out to clinicians and to um, people that we have locally and other, other wives, other, you know, that were dealing with this. And I didn't know how much they were dealing with it. And when I started to speak out, then they, you know, started to kind of, we, we created a bond and started to talk. So then that's how I really started to recover with, yeah. with myself and become my, become who I am again, that, that, and non-judgmental. I don't hate, I, I don't think I'm a horrible person. Um, I'm not angry very often. Um, so that's where I got back to me. You know, mm-hmm. I had to go through all those steps and processes too, on top of what my spouse was going through. So, sure. And as you've kind of okay. mentioned, and we both absolutely know, you, you just you cannot force someone to change. It doesn't, yes. you just can't do that. It doesn't work. And if in any way, shape or form that trying to force someone to manipulate them and bring them about to change or threaten or whatever, if it does bring about any change, it's going to be on shaky ground and it won't last. It just won't last. You just can't force people to change. But let me, let me ask you this with, with that uh, premise. So how instrumental was your husband getting well? How much better were you able to help him once you got the help that you needed? Oh, it was a hundred times better. I mean, it was just like tenfold. It was like night and day. Even he looked at me, you know, one day and said, I finally see you again. You're no longer being like my boss, my mother, my, um, you know, he said, you're my wife again. You know, he, I mean, even through everything he was going through, he saw it because I just simply came to him and said, okay, like all bets are off. You know, my, my hands are tied. I can't do this for you. You have to do this for yourself. So I'm here for you. I'm just simply standing beside you. I'm not holding you up. I'm not allowing you to pull me down. We are as equals standing beside one another and I will walk with you into this. So when that actually happened, he looked at me and just, I mean, literally I remember the day, like his pupils even changed. You know, Hmm. I mean, it was just his skin tone, his pupils, his, his stature, his posture, everything. It was like he, like, morphed right in front of me. And he said I did the same to him. If that's not God, I don't know what is. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't want to get I don't want to get too far on that end because I know it doesn't resonate with some people, and I I want everyone to get something out of this, but I can't deny that that yeah. it that I finally stopped fighting and started finding the answers, you know. And when I started to walk beside him, then he he really he just went full force into his recovery. I mean, he calls it white knuckling, you know, and I think that term probably is well known um, amongst people that are in active addiction. 
when you just sure. cold turkey everything, you take yourself into the detox and you go to the recovery center, you take yourself out of the family dynamic and you just start, you go in and get well for yourself. So um, that's when it started and it, that was five years later. Five very long, rough years, but... Uh, so wait, so wait, five from when you really started to take responsibility, get well, step into, as you said, recovery for yourself, and then you living in the healthiest space you could, and you walking alongside of him, it was five more years of active addiction in his life till he stepped into the transformation he needed. Is that, am I hearing that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well... I mean, you've you've touched on so much of it and, and been completely honest and encouraged. And but so this, as both of us know, um, I think general society, um, if they really sat down and thought about it, would think through and be like, yeah, there's probably a lot more people that I even know personally struggling with something similar. But I think just the average person, they don't really understand like. It doesn't matter where you live, where you are, within your neighborhood, within a few doors of your house, chances are someone's really struggling with addiction. I, I, I would bet everything on it. In this day and age and all the different sorts of addiction that is out there, there's stuff going on all the time. And people try so hard to manage it, control it, hide it, and it just that just makes it, makes it worse, as you've been so candidly sharing about. What is it? as you already have done, but even more so, like, what's the encouragement you would give to a wife? Or even say it's a husband and the, and the wife is the one with the drinking drug problem, whatever it is. What would you say if they're in that spot right now that you know from your past so well of the, I, I got I to gotta control this, hide it. I got to make, you know, do everything I can to fix this so nobody knows. What's the encouragement you would speak to them um, that they have their own process to go through as well? First, I would say, don't isolate yourself. Yeah, you know, that's yes, good. Your, your life is going to change, and you will feel all of those different emotions, but you're not alone. Um, I personally take on people. I know, Eric, you take on people. You're a life coach. You're wonderful. I mean, that's the reason I'm talking to you today, but you aren't alone. There are more avenues out there then I think that I had even available to me. If you mm -hmm. have a church, please speak to your church family. If you are able to speak to someone, a clinician, please speak to a counselor, a you know, someone. Um, you know, I even reached out to the guidance counselor at my kid's high school. I mean, that is their profession. That is their background. Sure. You know, because they started teaching so many, um, they started teaching there at the schools, and they have to really be on point with these things in this day and age because they deal with so many children that come from families of addiction. I even reached out to her and said, you know, is there is there something that I can do? Is there a group? And I can tell you, um, there is a, a guidance counselor in Strasburg, Ohio, and I won't mention her name, you know, but. She is a wonderful person, and she is on the forefront and on the cutting edge of what it, what what spouses and parents need. Um, you know, so there are definitely people out there. 
and there are groups. You know, I'm we haven't hit on Al-Anon at all. There's a lot of people for it, against it. It doesn't hurt to try. It does mm-hmm. not hurt to try anything and everything that is tangible and that is there for you. But first and foremost, make make the decision that if you are going to stay in this relationship, that you are going to stand beside your loved one. You are not going to allow them to stand on top of you and treat you like a doormat. You are not going to put them on your back like a backpack. You are not going to pull them up, allow them to pull you down. You really have to conscientiously tell them, you know, eye to eye, I'm beside you. You know, everybody says, you know, I'm behind you, I'm behind you. Not in recovery. In recovery, you have to be shoulder to shoulder. You, you can't good. stand behind one. You know, so that, that would be, I guess, my best advice to stand shoulder to shoulder with your loved one and make sure they know that you, you are on their side, but you're wanting to, you want to pull that better half out of them once again. Don't let them manipulate, manipulate you. Don't, um, you know, there's all kinds of things, Eric, we could get into, like, oh, yeah, run, jazz, you know. So, I mean, those are things that I feel with this podcast, you know, if people want to reach out, I'm definitely going to share my information because I do have a group that I speak with and that I'm very close knit with. And I'm always, I always welcome anyone in to call, to speak, to um, join that group, just to even vent. But mm-hmm. don't isolate yourself and, you know, don't don't be ashamed. Because like you said, if you were standing in a room full of 10 people, I guarantee probably seven of them have either been touched by or are dealing with active addiction at this time. Absolutely. So. I would say that. That number seems high, but I would say it's accurate. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I do, just, I, do, I do just want want to say one more thing, please, but please. Um, it, I didn't know enough about recovery centers at the beginning of what I went through also with him. And so therefore I want, I want people to be active. And I mean, it's 2019. We even have a Google search engine. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to do a promotion or do anything like that, but I'm saying there are a lot of great people who work for recovery centers in recovery centers all over the state of Ohio, all over the United States. World, so, yeah, absolutely. To call a one, an 800 number or, you know, um, and reach out and ask for assistance because I can tell you these people from – the CEO to the call center to the housekeeping to the counselors to the and I'm a recovery to everyone in those centers you know nurses doctors that there it doesn't matter who answers that phone they're going to support you they don't have to be you know uh, they don't have to be on a first name basis for you they, they're going to take your information and you know um, someone's going someone's going to help you. So if you can't find it locally and you feel more comfortable finding it nationally, you know, please reach out to someone because that's what that's what we're here for. You know, we're right in your backyard and 
uh, we're definitely um, we're trying to fight the good fight. Yeah, I would. <clears throat> I tell people, all you know, you if the way you've been doing it has gotten you to a place you don't want to be, you're not going to be able to get out of it by yourself. You know, well, the, you know, even paraphrasing the Einstein, Albert Einstein quote, he says, you're not going to fix a problem with the same thinking that created it. You know, you, you got to get help. You got to, th- there's people out there that have, myself even been through it. So I went to two inpatient centers and multiple other sort of treatment outpatient stuff. Um, I'll say this, there there still exists a little bit with some people, some sort of mindset that, like, I'm going to send them to treatment and they're just going to get fixed. They'll just get cured and come home. That that will not happen. There's no treatment center out there that's just going to magically cure and fix everything. They're just going to come home completely perfect and never have a problem again. But treatment can be extremely beneficial in getting people on solid ground, getting them free and clear-minded, getting them some tools Ultimately, it is on the person that needs to take responsibility. But even jail was beneficial for me, just getting some clarity in my mind and getting away from some of the things I was doing. But treatment did help me along the way. By no means did it cure me, but it was was very beneficial in my journey and helped me. Thirty days is thirty days is training wheels. Yeah, you know, it's training wheels to the vehicle that you're building. Um, I, I mentioned it was five years before my, we, my husband and I even stood beside one another, you know, and we didn't even touch on the children in the relationship and, you know, yeah. the laws and extended family. And there's so much involved. Like you said, we can't touch on everything in this podcast, but those centers also can help you you know, reach out to your family members and give you the skill set and the coping mechanisms back to start, you know, it's it's the training wheels to a, a, an awesome mountain bike. So yeah. and then once you get to the top of that mountain, you're going to, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. So that's a good way to put it. Why don't, why don't we end with this? If I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but that's okay. We've kind of done that with the whole interview. So, <laughs> what um, what what is it you would say to help break some of the stigma that still remains with this? What is it you'd say to someone that's listening that just isn't hearing it and they're still caught in this blame game and it's all their fault? Or maybe they've never had an immediate family member struggle with it or have dealt with anything and, and their perspective towards people that struggle is just like, why don't they just stop? You know, why do we keep Narcan and back to life? You know, that, that stuff still exists. What What is it? you might share briefly to speak into some of the stigma that still exists. I would say educate yourself. Educate yourself about your surroundings and your community. Educate yourself about the hardworking, amazing um, clinicians, doctors, law enforcement, um, everyone, the health departments, the health commissioners, the everyone who is, trying to educate everyone else, you know, take that responsibility on yourself. And if you still have the same feeling after you've taken long, hard hours to educate yourself, then reach out to one of us. Reach out to someone who is dealing with active recovery and active addiction and sit down and invite them to have a cup of coffee with you and get the real story and the true story. 
you know, you'd be really shocked at some people that sit across from you with active addiction that also could be, you know, doing surgery on you a year from now or, you know, um, defending you in a court of law. And addiction doesn't just touch. Teaching your kids um, at school. I mean, it touches everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It it touches everyone. It doesn't just touch um, young, middle-aged, old, indigent. I mean, it touches everyone. So educate yourself. And then, um, like I said, you know, if you never have to deal with this and you are a person that can definitely hold on to a stigma because you've never had one relationship in your life that has dealt with addiction, then blessings to you because you're a unicorn in this day and age. Yeah, in this day and age, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think it's safe to say, especially in Ohio, that everybody probably knows somebody that they have been in friends with at some point, a cousin, spouse, brother, sister, mom, dad, whatever it is. Everybody knows somebody that has struggled or is in jail, has passed away, whatever whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're just humans trying to be humans, you know. Humans are, we're the the definition of human is imperfection. So we just have to keep learning as we keep living. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this and be very, very grateful and touched, and it'll open their eyes more. So I can't thank you enough for being. Open, honest, real, raw. I, I tell people all the time, I, I emphasize it so redundantly to my clients and people I work with or interact with in recovery. I'm like, listen, I, I'll say this first. I understand somebody going through that and they choose to remain quiet and stay. They're getting the help they need. They're living in recovery. Their life has changed, but they don't want to be real vocal about it. I completely respect and understand that. But I'll add to that this. The more people that have gone through this come out of it and are living in a place where they are taking responsibility for themselves and growing and learning and helping people, the more people in real healthy recovery that can be vocal and adamant and talk to people and help people, it's only going to help the cause. It will have a massive ripple effect, and the more people that can be vocal, the more good it's going to do. So I'll just say that to say thank you very much for being very open about your story with us. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being such a wonderful friend. Um, I know that you're a wonderful husband, wonderful father. You know, I'm trying. And you're, <laughs> and, and, and you're just, you are what life can be about if you if you are living in an active, healthy recovery i mean it's it's a lifelong um it's 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 a lifelong journey of happiness and one you know i mean and and you can share your story and help others and save lives absolutely that's amazing i appreciate you giving me the time to help do the same and i just hope that you know if anybody hears this and they're struggling and there's nothing in their area for them to reach out and say hey we need a group for wives and mothers and daughters and husbands and we need something you know um we need an outlet we need some type of service if there is nothing i'd be surprised but you know there are some places that like you said are still they're they're just they just need to educate themselves and um and we're on we're on that train Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um can i can i 
put your email in the podcast description if anyone wants to reach out to you. Oh, yeah, definitely. My email and, I mean, you know, I have literature out there that has my community relations representative, you know, and the logo and everything on it. My my number is is public, so um, I have people reach out a lot, and I, I have no, no qualms about that whatsoever. Awesome. So anyone that is listening, the email will be in the podcast description, and you can reach out and chat with Rebecca if you need to. Well, thank you so much. You know, like we said at the beginning, this is uh, truthfully scratching the surface on a topic like this. Um, It really is the Reader's Digest version, but I think a very good amount of things were we're shared and we'll get some people thinking. We'll encourage some people and start some, some good conversations out there. So I think it's awesome. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you.